Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, and I got two awesome co-hosts today. Mr. Adam Shear. How's it going, Adam? Uh, just about fully depreciated, Jerry. <laughs> Near my salvage value. And it's only right. the beginning of tax season. It's but true. Uh, good to see you guys. <laughs> You're on an accelerated depreciation schedule. <laughs> yes. That's right. <laughs> and hopefully with a little bit more gas in the tank, Mr. Mike Long. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> I I am I am okay today. Uh so yeah, except I can ask you guys, you know, I show up occasionally at the the Biff Bites Luxurious Studios just to pop in and, and, and sit in on a podcast, but are you guys like changing the locks after every time I leave? Because my keys never work. And I'm like, huh, oh, that's weird. And I hear you guys in there sometimes. So I'm like, all right. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm here with you today. <laughs> we we had to bring you in, Mike. You know, we got to get that that uh, three-legged stool. You know, it, it can't be wobbling all over the place with only two, two opinions. Yeah, we're need- wobbling, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Some Biff brews. uh speaking of so this is completely unrelated to uh our topic of discussion today but i actually had a real world depreciation uh situation come up that you just reminded me of adam i got to use my cfp knowledge to save me a little bit of cash all right nice so i i I recently moved Mm -hmm. and when i moved out of my uh my old apartment my uh old uh slumlord uh landlord (laughs) tried to tried to ding me and my fiance saying that uh we damaged the carpet that they needed to replace the carpet and they were going to charge us twelve hundred dollars in addition to our security deposits they were keeping our security deposit and giving us a bill for twelve hundred dollars uh charging us to have the carpet replaced because because they said it was it was torn up and had holes in it and whatnot and I got to say, it's like, well, listen, buddy, <laughs> under Massachusetts state law, carpets are a five-year depreciable asset. <laughs> and we stayed in this location from these dates, meaning that this carpet is fully depreciated. It has reached the end of its natural life. And so you cannot charge me to have this carpet replaced because it is fully depreciated. It has zero value. So even if I had set fire to the carpet, <laughs> which we didn't, the carpet was fine. The landlord was just trying to be a scumbag about it. <laughs> but even if I had set fire to the carpet on my way out the door, you still wouldn't be able to charge me for it because it is fully depreciated. You got your tax credits. Don't come after me. Give me my deposits. <laughs> Ooh, and he drops the mic and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just your little... uh real world CFP knowledge, uh, a- application, uh, to help you all, you know, save, save some money. If you ever have a scumbag landlord, like I did, <laughs> I hope you gave some tax corner I'm tax so, joke, like so take happy. that straight line and get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you just been deducted. <laughs> I'm so happy. Our youngest member of Jam, you know, you know, for those of you who don't know, JAM is Jerry Adam and Mike. He's become a full fledged nerd, and I just couldn't be happier. <laughs> You've arrived, Jerry, yep. on this podcast market. Yep. Don't don't let them take advantage of you, listeners. Use that knowledge. Knowledge is power, and so the landlord dropped it. 
got my security deposit back. Didn't have to pay that $1,200 bill. <laughs> nice job. Well done. Nicely done. Uh, but anyways. CFP professional. Yeah, exactly. Now, we do have a very good topic to cover today. A very important topic, I'd uh, like to say as well. And it's one I think we're kind of a little overdue to address because it's one of those kind of elephants in the room that we don't necessarily talk about all that often because it's just kind of, you know, it's there, common sense, common knowledge. But we felt it was worth bringing up and addressing to kind of give some insights uh, for our students who are either sitting for the March exam and also who maybe are in the education material right now to kind of help them do a little introspective soul searching about the type of learner that they are, the type of CFP student that they are, uh, and kind of figure out their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and really the, the long and short of what I'm trying to get around to is are you a CFP candidate with a lot of real world experience? You've been working in the industry for years and years and years, and now you're coming back to get your CFP designation. Or are you someone who's brand new to the financial industry? You know, maybe you're a career changer, you're fresh out of college, what have you, you don't have any experience. And so you're coming at this, you know, as, you know, tabula rasa, the blank slate, uh, fresh set of eyes looking at all this material. And, those are really the two buckets that uh, students fall into, and each one kind of has its strengths and its weaknesses. And so we wanted to take some time today to discuss each of those types of students and you know give some insights on how you can take advantage of the strengths and also maybe patch up some of those weaknesses. What do you say, boys? I agree yeah. that we're overdue on this, and it's been fascinating at both ends of it. And then I think the lens we always process that through is as a CFP instructor, what can we do to help on both ends of that spectrum? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how can we coach so that both pieces are, are both ends are covered effectively for, for the exam. So I agree. This is a good idea um, for an episode. Yeah. And let, why don't we just lead with <clears throat> CFP exam? Um, as many of you that are listening in may know, that exam is is written at the level of actual financial planning work and CFP board's expectation is that you're going to have three to five years of full-time personal financial planning experience. And for some, like Jerry said, that have 10, 15, 20 plus years, they have the benefit of just being in that financial planning chair for a while having all of that real world experience. But what we've found is that sometimes that does work against them um, on this exam. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, <clears throat> people just starting out, that experience gap can be a tough one to cross because we're, we're not just doing rote memorization. Uh, you could know all of your facts and flashcards really well. But if you're not able to lift that concept to a client and, and to be able to interpret a situation and say, this is the right way to go, or it's the best way to go, uh, that can be tough. Uh, which group do you guys want to start out with first? I think working with the the fresh slate, the, the inexperienced okay. students, I think is the good way to start. Um, one caveat I would also put into this group of quote unquote inexperienced candidates are maybe people who have financial service industry 
experience, but not the quote unquote right type of experience. Because I've also worked with students who worked in financial service adjacent roles for years and years. You know, maybe they worked at a bank as a, you know, a teller at a bank or, um, you know, maybe they worked in a uh, fund, uh, like a hedge fund, but they did like HR type roles. You know, you could have experience that counts towards the three years of CFP experience that'll get you that, that the, you know, designation requirement, but it doesn't necessarily directly apply to the type of experience that really helps you out on the exam. So I would say if you, even if you've been in the industry for a few years, if you aren't really doing CFP type work, I would still put you in this kind of category of the quote unquote, unexperienced crowd. Yeah, agreed. Um, and, and also I think a, a caveat here should be, you know, even though we may discuss today some of the challenges that one might have on either end of this, it doesn't mean you can't pass the exam. It right. doesn't. We have no a way. lot of success every cycle with folks on both ends of that spectrum. So it's doable, but you want to be very mindful of where the gaps or vulnerabilities might be. And then it becomes an issue of, so what are you going to do about that? Mm -hmm. uh, and the people that pass figure that out and how they're going to fill those gaps or vulnerabilities. And they go right on and pass. So don't, if you're listening, thinking, oh my gosh, uh, you know, this, yeah, this is a lot of challenge because I don't have the experience. Um, don't think you can't pass. You're just going to have to really work at it. Right. Exactly. So, Kicking things off, I would say the first big hurdle for students who don't have the experience already is really something a lot of us uh, take for granted. And it's that these little facts and uh, figures, not figures, but just things that you just pick up about the industry that you wouldn't even think of something as industry knowledge. You know, for example, one thing I constantly run into with newer students is they ask, when doing bond calculations, why do we double the time frame and half the interest rate? Well, it's because bonds by default pay semi-annual coupons, so they pay twice a year. So there's two payments per year. So in order to you know calculate those on the financial calculator, we need to double the time frame because it's making two payments per year, and because we're doubling the time frame, we have to half the interest rate so it doesn't look like we're making twice as much as we really are. That's something that someone who works in the industry would just know. You know, you just know that bonds pay two times a year. But someone who's brand new to the industry has never even come across that. And that's just something they wouldn't even think of when doing a bond calculation. Also, there's, you know, tons of jargon in this industry. Um, you know, I always make it a point uh, in, in one of my classes to talk about BIPs, basis points, and how those are calculated, uh, because if you don't work in the industry, if you haven't worked, you know, mutual funds and, you know, 12B1 trailers and all, I'm, I'm already throwing out even more jargon <laughs> that someone who isn't familiar with it is probably has no idea what I'm talking about already. These sorts of things are just little kind of weights on you that if you don't know the industry jargon, you don't know how this stuff works, that's just something you got to learn before you even learn the main thing that you're trying to learn. Yeah, that's tough. It, it's, I mean, I, I think I shared this on one of our earlier podcasts from years ago, but I remember being in my first position in a, a full on financial planning office. 
uh, I was coming on to help them with their tech and eventually got on a path to becoming like a junior wealth advisor there. And I was sitting with one of the client service associates and like, I clearly didn't know my stuff completely. And I asked them about the REITs. I was like, what are, so tell me about the REITs. And the woman just looks at me and she goes, you mean the REITs? That's what we call them here. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so many acronyms and the jargon and it, it's, it, it can be really overwhelming uh, mm -hmm. to, to have to face all that and then put it in context and then get to a place where you're applying it. So there's, there's a lot there and it's, it's across all the domains too, if you're brand new at this. And I think that that's the overwhelming piece is that this exam, I, I am a firm believer that no one steps into this exam being strong across every domain. That just based on what they do and how they do it, there's going to be an area that's less familiar to them or brand new to them that they're going to have to put a lot of effort into. But it's when you're starting out, you're you're a little bit behind there because if you haven't had that real world experience of all the different elements coming together then you have to you have to do that across all eight domains and and that that can be quite a bit i, I and I, to look at where your supplements are with that too i mean one of the one of the things i see with even career changers is a big difference between those who truly truly are coming fresh and those who are very new but have taken some uh, securities exams oh, yeah. or insurance exams because a lot of the basics just about products and things uh, are learned in those licensing uh, courses. And I've had students over the years that uh, either didn't need to take those or weren't planning on it yet. But I said, have you thought about studying that material alongside your required education course just for mm -hmm. deeper exposure to uh, to the nuances and all of the acronyms and all that in, in that exist in the business. So I think that's just something for someone brand new to this is is you may need more than just what's in a required education course uh, because yeah. we're not gonna that's not going to be taught at the review level. Right. Uh, if you it, it, you know and let me just say this too that's just one of the things that that concerns me looking at this business of, of, of CFP, too many are not taking the required education courses super seriously. Oh yeah. Trying to squeeze every knowledge out of Jerry, you see that? I, I see that. Cause I mean, we can see students feedback. It actually says like in our software, you know, they spent an hour doing this section. They spent an hour doing that two hours on this one. And then I look at some student, it's like, two minutes and 36 seconds to read 105 <laughs> pages. And like they sat there and they just hit next, 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 next. And, you know, I get, we, people always do that. I remember when I was working at firms and we, you know, the uh, quarterly continuing education program comes out <laughs> and everyone's just sitting there, you know, lean back in their chair, you know, hitting the next button on their mouse as quickly as possible just to get through the continued education. And, you know, that's kind of un unfortunately, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a mindset that a lot of people get into in this industry is, oh, it's required. I don't actually need to know this. I just need to check this box. So the compliance dude gets off my back. <laughs> yeah, and that creates a, a tough challenge for us on our end, because a lot of what we deliver in the exam prep review phase, it's with the assumption that you've 
you've laid the foundation and you've done the work before. And part of our method is to make each one of our, our snapshots of a topic just to the point. It's bullet pointed. It's just the most important stuff that's going to get elevated to that level of scenario, of application, right? And if you don't have that background knowledge dialed in, what we find are people wanting us to to give that to them in review. And there's, I mean, we don't have the resources here. Well, no, really no do review that. provider does. No, <laughs> no. review provider yeah. teaches at the one-on-one it's, level. It's, it's review, not one-on-one. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's just, I mean, I've just seen it happening over the years. And and even the firms in, in, in the space is like, it's like, name that tune, you know, well, I can name that in six notes. I can do it in four and sometimes in the business, you see approaches to it as, oh, be done in a year, be done in eight months, be done in, in three months, be done over four weekends. Mm-hmm. And, and how are you going to grab all that? You know, if you make it shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, that's not really a good thing. Right. Yeah, you check the box, but, you know, you're coming in without the baseline. If you're somebody that's changing careers or, or relatively new yeah. uh, in the business. So obviously nothing's going to replace actual industry experience, but that takes a long time. Um, You know, this doesn't necessarily help our students who are sitting for the March exam, but maybe for students who uh, are still in the education uh, or, you know, knock on wood, uh, if someone ends up being in a retaker scenario, you know, a common kind of piece of advice that we'll have and we'll sit down with these students who just need that more time with that quality building up that foundation is, you know, maybe look at some of the easier designations to get under your belt first, because let's face it, the CFP is widely considered the most difficult financial services designation that you could get. You know, if you include the CPA in there, um, CPA is, uh, maybe a little bit more difficult cause it's more, it's, it's longer, uh, and, uh, but you know, that's more tax uh, focused as far as investments go. CFP is the end boss, you know, it doesn't get more difficult than the CFP. So if you are brand new to the industry and you're just going straight for the CFP, it's like skipping all the other levels leading up to it and just, you know, seeing how, how you can do so. Um, you know, if you're in that situation, what are some of kind of the other designations that, you know, students might want to look to in order to get some of that experience under their belt first? Oh boy. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Mike. You had, you yeah, had one of my favorites there. is CHFC with the American yeah. college. Um, it's, I'd refer to it as CFP light yeah. over, <laughs> over the years. It is a great introduction to all across all of the elements, right? It's just not as deep mm-hmm. as, as CFP is going to be, but it will introduce you to, to the topics that ultimately will be, will be in your CFP studies uh, as well. So I, I've recommended that one a lot over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I, I've obviously, you know, I've, I've shared, Hey, take a look at some other designations. I'll often give my set out to people, but uh, for people that are looking for more applied stuff, just getting more well, well-rounded, I have this email that I'll often send out where here are, here are some resources that are available to you out there. Some of, some of them you have to buy. Like there's a Wade Fowl retirement strategies book that Mike and I really like that, that has a, it's a pretty nice overview for retirement, just of how everything comes together, pre-retirement and in retirement. Um, 
I've actually told people on the tax side, one of the, the best things that they can do if they're feeling really lost there is if you happen to be sitting for March, go to the H&R Block uh, Tax Preparers course. They I did that. Online. It's great, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I did it when I was preparing years ago. Yeah. Yeah, same. And and I, I did it when I was getting ready for my EA just to get some extra reps in. And it's it's really well done. And what's great about it is it's all individual tax prep stuff. And that's what you're going to see on your CFP exam. But there's some great podcasts out there. Um, I always share for estate planning, estate planning strategies by Christopher Smalls. Uh, the and And what's nice are a lot of practitioners are putting podcast content out there that's meant to meet their ideal clients. And what they're doing is they're simplifying a lot of this stuff. They're kind of getting away from the jargon and they're speaking at a pretty basic level about some pretty complex stuff. Um, Andy Panko is, a, is another financial planner that has a podcast. I think it's Taxes in Retirement or something like that. And he does a great job of just pure education. The people that, that work with him are uh, do-it-yourselfers and he does a great job of talking about what it, what this is, how it fits, some strategies. So it's out there. Um, but I think for those career changers, you're going to have to find your combination. Like you're going to have to put your puzzle together and find what works for you to get some of that. And then the last thing that I always tell people is this is an application-based exam. You got to find people in your circles to attach the concepts to, whether that be you, your spouse, your partner, friends, family. Um, and if that doesn't really work, or you can't really think of anyone, start making up people. Like just make believe that this is, you know, this is so-and-so and they're 72 and this is where they're at and this is what their career has been like. And what would apply to that person in the financial planning space? Like what are we looking at just age-wise? And one of the documents, Mike, you and I have, have pointed students to this for forever. Uh, those client demographics that CFP board uses uh, just about the different life cycle phase, about income levels, about special circumstances, um, and kind of how those different pieces come together. And I think those allow you to come up with the people that, that you're going to be serving. Like what, what's the difference between estate planning for an ultra high net worth client versus someone that's mass affluent? right? What are the differences there? What are the strategies that would apply? And what are the goals? And are they different? And they are. Yeah. What um, are the top priorities and needs and vulnerabilities yeah. at each stage? Is, is that in the document from CFP board on principal topic list? And off the top of my head, I don't recall which it. document that contextual variables are in, but it's a great lens to put on when you study uh, the financial topics of how does this apply to a young single person, how does it apply to a young couple, add young children, move to children going on to school. And so you can just graduate with them through the stages and think about the individual financial planning topics of what, if anything, changes about this. Another thing I've recommended to folks a lot over the years is if you don't have the experience and you're already in a firm, uh, get some mentors in the firm. Oh, so yeah. you can go to them and say, hey, you, you know, in real life, in real client life, how does this work? And a lot of times they're very gracious in, uh, in giving you some time and answering some questions. 
outside of your own firm or if you're not in a firm, uh, a lot of metropolitan areas have uh, financial planning associations uh, that, that you can join. And, and there's some that are more specialized in insurance. Um, but just seek out those groups of people that you could get to know and ask questions of in a mentoring type of, uh, of capacity in real life. So we've kind of talked about the weaknesses and how to fix some of those weaknesses for the inexperienced. What about some of the strengths? Because there are some advantages actually to becoming at the CFP, you know, brand new, um, especially I would say this mostly applies to people who are fresh out of college or, you know, fresh out career changers. You guys are, are facing a little bit more difficulties, but I think especially for those just entering the industry, they just graduated uh, college, they're, they're looking to break into the industry. I think their biggest advantage is they're still in that test taking mode. You know, they're, they were doing, you know, six hour exams and writing essays and doing all this, you know, six months ago, they still know how to do these, you know, difficult, uh, long form, uh, tests, which is very much a skill in and of itself compared to someone who's a career, uh, who's been in the industry for a long time, hasn't, you know, their last time they took a college course was 1984. <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to be very difficult for them to get back into that mindset. That's a, that's a really good point. And another is I've seen with, with many people that are changing careers, there's, there's an eagerness to, to learn it, right? They're really driven. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're making a intentional choice to leave one career path and come to personal financial planning. And I've seen some really highly motivated people. I've seen people that are um, really open-minded about new, taking on new information. And actually I've seen some really creative people step into this. I mean, from crazy backgrounds, right? Uh, yep. Art history, um, Italian literature. I mean, oh, we've, these we've, people had like, are... we've had marine biologists, yes. and... opera yep. singers, <laughs> yeah. opera singers. Chefs, yeah. professional chefs. Yeah. yeah. Great, great uh, breakdown of, of people from all sorts of industries. And yeah, you're <laughs> right. Taking that different mindset is an advantage because you look at things in different ways and you can make sense of things that other people wouldn't make sense of, or maybe they're just so set in their ways. They don't even bother looking at it from that, from that point of view. Yeah. And I think with some of those backgrounds too, um, we've had plenty of people uh, from the military mm -hmm. go through our programs and for them, they have a whole different set of financial planning stuff that impacts their families quite a bit. Um, one of the major one being, you know, what does that pension look like? And, and there's a there's a key decision point that happens for people in the military that have have served for a number of years. But they a lot of them are driven to just do research. And you'll see that that some of these strengths really shine in class where they're like, oh, yeah, this is I, I totally understand how to do this. I actually have a spreadsheet that I use to calculate my retirement stuff. And, and where where other students, even if they have the the practical experience in the, in a firm, might not have that strength. So I do see these these different strengths and, and different interests as well with that group. Yeah, 100% agree. Some of the most driven students we've ever had are, are career changers because they're doing this because they want to do that. And that is insanely valuable. I will take a student with zero experience, doesn't even know what a stock is, 
but they are dedicated and want to learn this, I will take that student over someone with, you know, 30 years of experience and they're here because their firm told them that they have to be here. Those are some of the worst students, <laughs> you know, the ones who are, are not here by choice, but they're basically here because their manager told them that, Hey, you know, everyone needs a CFP if you want to keep working at this firm. Those you're going are... to get hate mail now. Yeah. I know. Seriously. Look out. <laughs> Don't hate me. Hate your boss. <laughs> it's Jerry, Jerry with a G folks. Jerry with a G. No, it's, it's Jerry with a J Gerald with a G. That's how I have uh, dodged the hate mail. People don't know where to address it. <laughs> but, but you make a, a very valid point, though, that if you're someone in that category of, I don't really want to do this. You know, I'm very successful in my career, but my firm is all over me. That's that that's something to recognize. So <laughs> yeah. you got to keep we, your head in this and be positive about it, or this exam will bite you. And, yeah. and we've we've talked about that several times before. The number one factor that correlates to success with the CFP exam is people who do the work. You know, I don't care what your intelligence level is, your IQ, uh, anything like that. I don't care how much experience you have. Someone who does the work, does the readings, goes to the lectures, uh, spends time in the question bank is going to do better than someone else who doesn't do any of that, even if that other person has 50 years more experience. Experience is helpful to help you get a good foundation, but once you get beyond the foundation, that experience value dries up pretty quickly. Yeah. And and the type of experience too. I mean, the with a lot of firms, I mean, especially if you're at a bigger broker dealer and you're in, in one department, I mean, your view of personal financial planning is going to be fairly narrow. If you're in the the annuities and life insurance branch of a big firm, that's a, that's a lot of your time and your attention. And a, a lot of firms out there are are very investment planning, uh, portfolio design centric. And I mean, Jerry, you probably get the most of this uh, just because you're you're covering a lot of the incoming questions and hmm. protests and disagreements. Uh, but they grow accustomed to how their shop does planning. And you know, as we we move over to the more experienced group. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is people not not bringing to the question their solution, right? This is we've been doing this for 20 years. This is how we do it. This is the right way to do it. We've processed this, it's there. It's those questions where they're all pretty average answers. The solution they're looking for is not there. That's where we get a lot of pushback from people that are more experienced. And you know what? That's to be expected on this exam. And and Someone really put it well. Was it a retaker, guys, who was talking to us and they said, there are times, I want to share with the class, there are times where your set of answer options are all not great. Yeah. But you have to choose the best one out of the not great ones. The one that sucks the least is the way <laughs> That's I right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great segue, Adam. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. The biggest weakness of having a lot of experience is being set in your ways. I can't tell you, like, so I, I grade the capstones here for the Brian Education Program. So every capstone that gets submitted comes across my desk and I grade them. On our capstone, one of the questions asks you to calculate a client's AGI. 
I can't tell you the number of times I have had students actually write in as their answer. Our firm does not provide tax advice. It, it blows my mind. I'm like, well, guess what, Buttercup? If you want to be a CFP, you better start. Because <laughs> the same CFP with, board same expects with you estate to be planning. To yeah, same with estate planning questions. I've seen that. Uh, it's like, well, in CFP land, you do. You do. That's <laughs> <laughs> so fine. Your firm doesn't want you to do that. That's fine. You know, you don't have to do that. Everyone can run their practice like they want. But the CFP board expects you to be able to. Or at mm -hmm. least to be able to give the baseline understanding to help a client, you know, meet with their CPA. Because you never know, like maybe it's maybe a client is trying out a new CPA and they really trust you and they're like, hey, hey, Mike, uh, I have this new CPA, but I don't know if he's going to screw me over and do the used car salesman on me. Would you mind sitting in with me to make sure everything's on the up and up? You know, you never know if your client, if, if that's your best client, that client has, you know, uh, $500 million uh, under management with you. You're not going to say no to that. You're going to be like, yeah, tell me what time I'm, I got to be there. I'll see you there. And so you need to have the baseline understanding to make sure that, you know, this other person is actually doing what they're saying that they're going to do. Yeah. And experience too, when the standards of professional conduct a few years ago first started being tested. Had a student with a lot of experience. Um, and I don't know if CFP board was testing out a series of questions in that exam, but he told me he had at least five questions where the client wasn't quite cooperating. And, and, and what should the planner do? And, and the correct answer is, uh, modify the scope of the engagement to fit the areas that they are cooperating or terminate uh, the engagement and a couple others. And he was just, he, he was like, well, I'll tell you what we do in my firm. We <laughs> fire the SOBs that won't cooperate. We don't put up with that. <laughs> and so I marked every one of those. I marked every one of them terminate the engagement. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure not every answer was terminate the engagement. <laughs> yeah. That's where you got to unhitch, you, you know, yeah. and I'm sure that's how they did it in his firm. But, you know, you got to unhitch and live in CFP land for this. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a big weakness for having a lot of experience. Um, now. Uh, another one that I would say, and this is kind of a, a more insidious uh, issue that experienced people have is, especially right now, we're on a, you know, cross year exam. So the March CFP exam is using previous year numbers. So everyone sitting for March is using 2023 tax numbers. And if they're a practicing financial advisor, they're working with clients right now and they're working with 2024 numbers. And so you individuals who are doing that, you have to be very careful, make sure to refer back to your tax tables, double check, because you don't want to be getting questions wrong because you're using current tax information when you're being tested on last year's tax information. So especially for the March exam, you got to be real careful about that. That's a great point, Jerry. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Another thing uh, I would also say with uh, those with a lot of experience, kind of going back to what I was saying about being somewhat removed from 
uh, a test taking, you know, point of view. Maybe you haven't, you know, you haven't, you graduated from college 20 years from now. Um, you don't have those same skills as, uh, I find that students who have a lot of experience find it very difficult getting into question writer's shoes and eliminating wrong answers because a lot of the time you can actually get questions right even if you have no idea on the topic being tested on by just using some common sense application of process of elimination eliminate the wrong answers and then it's so hard to describe. I'm sure you guys do this too, but like I can just, because we've been doing this for years and years and years, and we've seen so many questions, I can just look at a CFP board question and I can just tell it's like, oh, the question writer who wrote this question, they probably got a prompt XYZ where the board told them, hey, we want you to write a question that tests this and make sure you distract them by throwing in this red herring. And it's like, it's almost like I can like see the matrix. I can like see the lines of code behind it. And that's something that is only going to come with doing a lot of experience. I don't expect any of our students necessarily to get to that level, but it's certainly something that you can start scratching the surface on of putting yourself in the question writer's shoes and figuring out, okay, what are they trying to test here? If they're trying to test this, then logically this is the answer that they're going to be looking for. And that is something I find new test takers without a lot of experience are much easier, more adapt at able to do rather than the really experienced ones. And that's why you might want to be in a study group. Oh yeah. That has both. Yes. Uh, if definitely. you're far removed from taking exams, make sure in your study group, and we really advocate study groups in, in our program. And most of our students do end up in a, in a study group, small or large, but try to get a good cross section so that, when you go through some practice questions with your study group, you're, you're benefiting from that really sharp test-taking skill that that person right out of school might have. They're benefiting from your experience. So it's a pretty good combination. Yeah, that's the power combo right there. And as, as far as the questions are concerned with people with more experience, um, I've, I've seen people that don't agree with uh either the interpretation the angle the best answer immediately toss it out and be like it's subjective this is just subjective this isn't <laughs> this isn't based in reality oh, yeah. and it's super subjective and i don't i don't agree with this at all like you could just scrap this one <laughs> i love but that he- i love when they do that and i'm like it's a math question uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't really think this is subjective it's it's yeah. it's a calculation yeah. But they're like, no, no, this is subjective. I, I I got it wrong because you know the the question writer doesn't agree with me. <laughs> it's it's so funny because the people well, so CFP board has volunteers that write these questions. I mean, and the volunteers come from all walks of financial planning. There are truly people on those panels that are a year off of getting their CFP marks. There are people who are retired planners that have had a long career. There are people that are in, in the academic area that just flat out do research. Um, there are people like us that teach this and, and write curriculum. So, And they're practicing financial planners. And within that subset, you have people on the broker-dealer side. You have people that are affiliated with like a life insurance company. You have people that are you know, purely flat fee. You know, in, And you have all that variety there. So it really covers the gamut uh, of, of the writers that you have there. 
And um, the CFP board has a, you know, they have a way of smoothing out the language, making sure it's it's consistent. And like any any testing organization, they're going to have some standards that you have to uphold to to make a good question. There are people that have experienced these concepts differently. I mean, just think about the experience that someone that is is coming from a purely academic perspective, um, even on some of these investment formulas is going to have versus someone that uses it in practice. And I think there could be some disconnect there. And that's why we we tell all of our people that study with us, the most important thing is that you read fully, you read completely both the question and the answer and get to the heart of what is being asked of you, even if you have not seen that in your practice in which you've been there for 20 years, right? That that we just want to address the question that's in front of us. And you can you can disagree and and protest that after the fact, but just solve that puzzle. Use your experience and just say, okay, I'm gonna buy into this. And knowing what I know, how do I solve this this puzzle here? And then move on to the next one. And understand that your review instructor just wants you to pass mm-hmm. yeah. and, 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 and you may want to go a, a direction that goes down a rabbit hole and way out there in third level exceptions to, to, to rules and tax laws and such. But we try to gently nudge you back to what we know you're going to need to know about that topic for the exam. And after you've passed, if you want to do research on all of these what ifs and yeah, buts, do it, but just trust that that we love you <laughs> and, and we want you to pass the exam. So any advice we give to you about, well, here's what you need to know, or let's let that go for now. It comes from the place of we just want you to pass and stay focused and, on the exam part. And, and that's a great point too, Mike, because I would say that's another shortfall uh, for someone with a lot of experiences. It is possible to have too much experience. And that's when we start seeing students overthink questions like uh, i'm struggling for an example now but i see it all the time where you know a student will get a very straightforward question like you know this client is a conservative investor should you put them in a stocks b options c bitcoin or d bonds and then you know it's very very straightforward just it's it's on its face value it's not trying to trick you and then I'll have a student who has a lot of experience start going down the rabbit hole. It's like, oh, well, like, what if they uh, have a lot of uh, municipal bonds in their portfolio? Or what if they are in this tax bracket and it doesn't actually make sense for them and they have an overcut? They start pulling in all of these, you know, what if situations that are not in the question. It's just imagination land for them. They start spiraling off in all these different what if directions and they end up taking a very simple straightforward question and turning it into this monster that no one would ever be able to get right because there's no way to be able to weigh all of these different variables yeah Yeah, and i've seen a lot of that as well (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) but isn't that the catch 22 of this guys is that 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 approach of thinking through the different angles right that is that's a a skill you have to have to be a right. successful planner. You got to think of, of where is this going to, what's the outcome going to be here? And I think that's why it's so tough to just have this really isolated question 
when you know there are bigger questions that that are outside of that the the container of the question that would impact how you handled it um but i think the the key to success for people that know a lot that have seen a lot that have worked with a lot of people is is to just literally interpret what's in the question and that's it and you do not go outside the bounds of the question because that's where it starts to get really dicey for people with experience and a lot of knowledge yeah much easier said than done uh with, with a yeah. lot of experience and i see it cloud sometimes the thinking about all of the what ifs can sometimes get in the way of really mastering the basic element that's trying to be the focus and that's all you're going to need to know for the exam is the basic application. But because they're thinking, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then all of a sudden, if you talk to them later and, and, and well, tell me about that topic, they struggle the, having not really picked up the basic application first. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, it, you can overcome it, but you got to be cognizant of it. And, and what am I going to do about that? You know, what's my plan? Just like on the other end with no experience, what am I going to do about that? On the other end, it's what am I going to do about that? And, uh, but you, you can have great success either way with it, but you just need to kind of follow um, the, the coaching. Excellent. So I guess to kind of round uh, this up, What's one piece of advice that you guys would give to each of our categories, the experienced students and then the inexperienced students? Oh boy. I would give them, honestly, I'd give them both the same advice. It's all about uh, developing your plan with your study plan and being consistent in your studies and, and making sure you keep an open mind and, and, and review for, for both of them, just learn this stuff and then review it and then re-review it and apply what you know at the point of the question, read fully. And I would add to that, uh, and in your plan, make sure it incorporates the elements of study that, uh, that your review instructors are, are telling you to do. Uh, at, at the end of the day, we're all going to make our own plan, right? Uh, and you can get there as long as you're doing the things in the way that they've been laid out, even though it may not take the exact same timetable or uh, you know, the same structure, make sure it's comprehensive. You know, some of the some of the potentially fatal mistakes in, in the study plan is, well, I'm just going to do uh, QBank questions because that's how I passed all my securities exams and my insurance <laughs> exam. I just pounded QBank questions. That's what I'm doing. Well, yeah, some people pass doing that. Uh, most don't, <laughs> uh, you know, because I'd say almost all don't. <laughs> yeah, we and we even in our own program, we, have, we you know, we we have uh, content in print. And one of the first things that we advise is read, 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 read. But then we also have instructional video uh that adds in nuances and exam points and tips and things on that same topic and sometimes we'll find where students are doing one or the other mm -hmm. i'm reading but i'm not watching the instructional video or i'm just doing videos i'm not doing the reading because i don't like to read and it's like ah yeah. uh that's <laughs> dangerous <laughs> yeah right. sure is yeah i would say my two pieces of advice is for the inexperienced crowd um, there's no speeding up 
experience. You know, you can't, you can't rush experience, but you can borrow someone else's. So I really like the idea. Uh, Mike, you said, find a mentor. If you're already working at a firm, you know, get a mentor at your firm that can help you out. Uh, if, if not, you're trying to break into the industry, study group, study group, study group, love those. Definitely recommend you join study groups um, for practicing for the CFP. And then also, you know, it's not as great, but CFP forum, uh, the CFP uh, subreddit. I know there's a bunch of Facebook groups, you know, get on those public, you know, social media uh, sites that cater to CFPs and, you know, start, you know, talking to people on there and joining discussions uh, as a way to kind of get some of that, that experience uh, secondhand. Uh, and then going towards the experience crowd, my, my number one piece of advice to them is, you know, just stop being so stubborn, <laughs> you know, you guys have the leg up, you have the advantage, the advantage of having the experience, you know, you already have the hard part taken care of. You just got to lighten up a little bit and have a bit more of an open mind and you'll have the best of both worlds, you know, just, and I know that might be a harder thing to accomplish because it's really hard to change your, your point of view and your perspective on things. But if you can accomplish that, I think you would be a very dangerous candidate when it comes time to the, for the test day. Good advice. Excellent. Well, that does it for this episode of the Biff Bites podcast. If you'd like some more great content, our entire library of work is available at the Biff Bites dot com and we are getting into the final stretch for the march exam and we should be taking signups uh for the july exam uh pretty shortly you know the march exam is right around the corner so if you're thinking about sitting for july come on down we'd love to have you as part of the biff review sounds good and jerry correct me if i'm wrong but i think we're about a month off from our next question palooza episode uh, that's right yeah all right always a fan favorite uh we're gonna sit down take some real cfp questions and do a round table talking about you know how we would answer these questions on the exam sounds good excellent study on my friends study on <laughs>